But Mr. Hitchborn, you have to hear this. Play Greta Thunberg. Uh, I shouldn't have, I should have, I should have, I, I shouldn't have told him. All right, Michael, you have to hear this because we can, uh, we, we, if nothing else, we can have a little bit of fun with this. Uh, we talked about it earlier. Vegan. Nothing can prepare you, Mr. Hitchborn, for what you're about to hear. And I apologize in advance. War is always bad, specifically for the planet. If we want to continue uh, fighting battles like environmentally conscious humans, we must make the change to sustainable tanks and weaponry. There are so many new concepts for our battery-powered fighter jets that can carry many more um, missiles, biodegradable missiles, of course. Something literally everybody can do to stop this nonsense is, for example, block the roads to gardens and farms so the plants don't get overrun by these heavy, heavy tanks. Hand grenades, very important. If you use hand grenades, please use vegan grenades. No animal should have to give their life for all this mayhem and chaos. They have a special sticker on them. You really can't miss them in the uh, gonna, grenade market or wherever you buy them. Yeah, I cover all of this and more in my newest book, Vegan Wars. So, uh, Mr. Hitchborn, uh, remember, teach your the Hitchborn children to use only, when you're out shopping for, for grenades, to use only vegan grenades, sir. So, I didn't actually hear anything. All I heard was about... 45 seconds of blank airtime. You didn't hear it? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Send me the link. Send a link to me. You know why? Because we were playing around with the Skype settings yesterday, and I probably didn't send that particular feed to Skype. But, okay, so it'll be a real surprise then. All right. Yeah, that 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 you haven't heard it. Hang on. Here we go. Because he hasn't heard it. Yeah, still haven't heard it. Um, and fighting battles like environmentally conscious humans, we must make the change to sustainable tanks and weaponry. There are. So many new concepts for our battery-powered fighter jets that can carry many more um, missiles, biodegradable missiles, of course. <laughs> Something literally everybody can do to stop this nonsense is, for example, block the roads to gardens and farms so the plants don't get overrun by these heavy, heavy tanks. Hand grenades, very important. If you use hand grenades, Please use vegan grenades. No animal should have to give their life for all this mayhem and chaos. They have a special sticker on them. You really can't miss them in the uh, grenade market or wherever you buy them. Yeah, I cover all of this and more in my newest book, Vegan Wars. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know there was a grenade market, did you? Uh, this, this has got to be, got to be a spoof. No, it's her. She, no, no. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't believe that Greta Thunberg is calling for a food fight. <laughs> a food, food fight. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got to use tomatoes and only the best, most biodegradable tomatoes as grenades. That's what I was and saying. They've got to be non-lethal tanks <laughs> and jet fighters. Yeah, none of these, uh, you know, the old fuddy-duddy. Super high-tech jet fighters! <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How dare you? Here, you can find them in, in, in their ba- battery-powered 
high-tech jet fighters, battery-powered. And we're going, like, uh, are they going to have, like, refueling Tesla stations in the sky? So <laughs> during the deployment, the battery runs out. Uh, it, it's on a show called the one... The, uh? Okay, so Maggie is saying that this is a deep fake and that this is satire. <laughs> it's got to be. <laughs> what makes it so funny is people were wondering, is it really? It, did she really say that or is it satire? Because she is that crazy. Well, she's starting to look like the uh, the uh, caricatures that people were drawing of her when she's going to be 70. You know, mm-hmm. th- you know that she looks like Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> she is actually starting to look like her caricature in the in the AI deep if that is an AI because the hosts and the hostess are sitting there looking at her smiling and nodding their heads up and down going like yes 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 <laughs> and if if it is a deep fake and AI it's just an example of how good they have, how good this stuff is because when I heard it, I went, well, I recognize the voice. They got the voice down. Uh-huh. But if you watch the animation, it is, well, it's a little kind of cheeky. In any event. So how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm doing quite well. Uh, I just got back from St. Louis. I gave a couple of talks out in um, Vandalia, Illinois, which I'd never heard of. Um, but it was, uh, it was a lovely little place. It's uh, Our Lady of... Or it's it's uh, our sorrowful mother ministries that I was giving a couple of talks to, and talk about a little gem in the middle of nowhere. It, it was it was really a wonderful time. And what was your subject? Well, I was talking about the need for forgiveness in in today's age, and uh, it, it was very very interesting writing for this particular topic because I kept asking, well, what specifically do you want me to write on, and uh, the 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 response I kept getting was the topic is forgiveness in this time of difficulty, and it's like okay. So first, I defined the time of difficulty. What do we mean? Yes. And I compared. Uh, I, I I started off by talking about our Lord's words that uh, about what it would be like in the end days, and he's he talked about the charity of many growing cold. And I focused on that as the theme for my first talk, saying that the charity of many growing cold uh, is something that we can look to history to understand. And I used uh, the um, the situation in the church and in the world under Julian the Apostate to give a prefigurement of what our Lord meant by that. And I showed that it was the end of faith, the end of charity, because they'd just gone through a horrible um uh, heresy that brought about the right the rising or, or the raising of Julian the apostate, and then it was widespread debauchery that really did precipitate the charity of many growing cold. People were were extremely uncharitable towards each other, mm. and that brought about persecution. And so then I talked about well, if if, if we're talking about charity growing cold, what does it mean to keep your charity warm? And so then I talked about the nature of forgiveness, and um, and I, I started to talk about the need for it. And then the second talk, I used the story of Alessandro Serenelli, 
who was the murderer of St. Maria Goretti. And oh, yes, 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 Alessandro. Anyway, yeah. As soon as you said Alessandro, I was going, wait, 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 I know this name. Yeah. So I use his story. Uh, it's funny. I, I, I gave his story leading up to the murder without anybody knowing who I was talking about. Because uh, all I would talk about was this individual leading up to the murder of Maria Goretti and her act of forgiveness and how her act of forgiveness saved his soul, saved her mother's soul, saved the souls of many members of her community. Because it was through her act of forgiveness that was made perfect uh, in heaven and how six years after she forgave Alessandro and he was a hardened, hardened man, he uh, he was unrepentant. He blamed his own victim for what he had done. Uh, he was so angry and belligerent in um, in prison that he had to be put in isolation for about six years because he kept fighting with the other inmates. And in the sixth year, uh, Maria Goretti appeared to him and gave him 14 white lilies in response to each of the 14 wounds that she received. And she handed them to him one at a time. And at the end of this experience, he became a model of an inmate. He was uh, uh, just a, a completely placid lamb. He was totally transformed and converted. So then, uh, after he got out of prison, he was such a model inmate, in fact, he got out three years early. So he spent 27 of his 30 years in prison. He then made his way back to the scene of the crime and knocked on the door of Maria Goretti's mother on Christmas Eve. Junta. Uh, Asunta. 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 Yep. And uh, as soon as she opened the door, he he said, do you know who I am? And she said, yes, I know who you are. And he got down on his knees and he begged her forgiveness. And she said, God has forgiven you. Uh, Maria has forgiven you. How can I not forgive you? So the two of them then went to midnight mass together. And they received Holy Communion kneeling next to each other in mass. And then after Mass, he addressed the congregation, and he begged their forgiveness as well. And Asunta actually wound up adopting him as her son. So uh, it's a perfect illustration, a perfect imagery of uh, our Lord, our Lady, the Church, and us, because we are all participants in the murder of Christ, our Lady's son, but she then, because of forgiveness, the forgiveness of Christ, she also forgives and she she draws us in. Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Uh, we we then become uh, a united adopted family uh, under under that auspice of forgiveness. Well, so then I I, I spoke on <clears throat> Aquinas's uh, discussion on. The phrase, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I went into a little bit of Augustine and, Always then, good. I, and then I closed with the story of um, Yvonne, Mother Yvonne Ami of Jesus, who received a mystical vision exactly 20 years to the day of Maria Goretti's death. Because as a young girl, Yvonne, uh, her, her given name was Yvonne Beauvais, but uh, she took the name Yvonne Ami when she became a nun. Uh, 
but she um she was a very pious young Me- girl. Meaning in French, sister of uh, sister uh, Yvonne of the love of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Sister or, or mother Yvonne of the love of Jesus is what okay. it means. Yep. And from a young age, she was very pious, lived a very pious life, and, and desired nothing more than to save souls and to give her life entirely to Christ and to love Jesus more than anyone. And when she was 21 years old, she had taken ill. Uh, she was she she actually went away to a convent uh, away from Paris because she was she was living in Paris. She went away to this convent to kind of convalesce, where she she was just looking to restore her health. And one evening, she went to her room, and about ten minutes after lying down, she heard her name called from the direction of the fireplace. And she turned, she looked, no one was there. So then she laid down again and she heard her name again. And this time she was afraid. Uh, and there was a light that was coming from, uh, from this corner of the room. She said it was an, it was a supernatural light. It was, it had no natural source. And, uh, our Lord identified himself and, he offered her a cross and said, "Will you carry this?" And she said, "Yes, Lord, I readily. I, I will. I will more than happily. Hap, I will happily carry this." Uh, and um, they had a little conversation about what it means to carry the cross and, and to love God. And and then she, not wanting to be seduced by any uh, any demonic trick said, Lord, is it really you? And and she asked for a sign that it really was our Lord, and he gave her a white lily. Uh, and so it's very interesting, exactly 20 years to the day that, that Maria Goretti had been murdered, that um, our Lord in, oh, and, and he, he spoke to her the second time after she recited the Our Father, when she got to the part, he spoke to her when she got to the part, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So this whole thing was a message of forgiveness. Mm. And um, so she received the cross and the lily at that exact time. And uh, what's really interesting, well, interesting, it's also tragic. Three years later, uh, she would come to realize what it meant to... Uh, to really embrace that cross that he gave her because she was kidnapped by three men uh, and brutally tortured, just absolutely uh, ravaged. Uh, they, they even stuck knitting needles through her breasts. And one of the men who was with them was a priest that she had tried to warn that our Lord had given her a warning about this particular priest, and he raped her. And she was then uh, bound and and dumped off in a par- uh, in a, a deserted Paris street, um, discarded like garbage. And uh, so she was abandoned. She was alone. She had no idea if she was pregnant or if she was, you know, going to be able to fulfill her vocation or what was going to happen with her life. But she forgave freely, and she revealed in her diary that. 
through her act of forgiveness and her willingness to suffer in silence through everything that she had undergone. And she said that she suffered through her entire body, her heart, and her soul. Uh, through all of that suffering, she was able to obtain for our Lord the the conversion of 32 priests. And later on, that priest that did uh, participate in that, that kidnapping and, and raped her, uh, that priest also converted back to the faith. Uh, so she obtained for him through her act of forgiveness that as well. So that was the gist of the entire talk that I gave. But um, Interesting. Um, yeah. Another just quick uh, footnote. Uh, didn't Alejandro, wasn't he at St. Maria Goretti's canonization? Yes. He was. He and Asunta. Mm -hmm. So this is another one of these stories, uh, folks, for those of you that don't know it and don't know the lives of the saints, uh, two uh, very young women, uh, one in the prime of her um, of her vocation, if you will, yep. uh, and th that being St. Therese of Lisieux, and uh, Maria Goretti, who was, what, 12 years old? 11. 11 years old when Alejandro raped her. And she kept screaming. Tried to rape. Or tried to rape. She kept screaming, no, Alejandro, no, no, no. God forbids it. God forbids it. It's a sin. It's a sin. Yep. And in a fit of rage, he stabbed her 14 times and uh, he killed her. This is a little girl that used to walk miles to mass every day. Yep. She'd ask her mother, can I go to mass? She goes, of course you can go, but you have to be back to dinner. You because know, they, they worked on a farm. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of farm work uh, to be done. Um, St. Maria Goretti is Maggie O'Connell's, uh, the producer of this show, a confirmation saint. Oh, marvelous. Yes. So she was listening very intently to your story. Uh huh. <laughs> um, it's another great, uh, it, it's just, it's a wonderful story. By the way, breaking news here. Let me just jump in here. Um, Jenna Ellis has copped a plea deal with the criminal prosecutor They're in Fulton County. And uh, Laura Loomer, who is a real MAGA, uh, uh, a real MAGA f a follower, fan, whatever you wish to call her, uh, that's where I see this at. In August, I warned people not to donate to fake MAGA grifter Jenna Ellis. And, and, I, and I told her she's going to cop a plea. She'll turn on Trump. So she raised $220,000. And then turned on Trump and took the plea deal. So this is just another one. I'm not a lawyer. I only play one on uh, radio here. She joins uh, Sidney Powell, Kenneth Cheeseboro, and Scott Hall in taking these plea deals. All they're doing is setting a jury up to go like, well, your people all pled guilty to this crime. None of this had, none of the plea deals have anything to do with the felony charges against Trump, though. And that's, nope. what, that's, that's what you need to know. So all these people, all these clowns are doing is contributing basically right now. And number one, now they all have rap sheets. You're only charged, but now you're admitted. Um, number two, they're all on probation. And number three, all they're doing is now setting up for the jury to be chosen and for the uh, for a jury 
to now convict Trump on God knows what um, uh, for this. Now, I still say that he has immunity and that the SCOTUS is going to bail him out on this one, uh, ultimately, if the lower court doesn't, because this happened what they're charging him with while he was president. Um, uh, that case has not been heard yet. Uh, and I say that when it does, that uh, the, that, that he'll, that uh, the uh, judge is going to throw the whole thing out. He, he won't have to stand trial for it. We, and, and most of what Jack Phillips is charging with is also going to get thrown out. Um, but this is just what they do. Again, we don't have a justice system in the United States. We have a conviction system. And right. I mean, well, this whole thing is just a... It, it's just to keep him from running for president a second time. Sure, sure. <clears throat> or a third time, actually. Yeah, because he's already won two. <laughs> well, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so now you he's. Can't, gonna... You can't run for president and win a third time. <laughs> They're trying to get him off the ballot. I know. I don't know what state it is. I heard Mike Parrott talk about it yesterday, saying he's going to talk about it today, that there's an effort to get Trump removed from a ballot in the state. Oh, but we are so we believe in democracy, our sacred and precious democracy. Uh-huh. They lecture us on. Um, it's just, I'm so, I am over all of this. <laughs> I pledged and I was never coming back to electoral politics, and here I am. Um, but I do know what you and I can talk about. And, and I sent you a story about the uh, little charter school in Oklahoma City. It was kind of interesting. I covered it pretty thoroughly in the last hour. But today is an interesting feast day. Do you know whose feast it is today? I haven't even looked. St. Raphael. Oh, the okay. archangel. Mm-hmm. The one that the Protestants say doesn't exist. Wait, what? Well, they scrubbed the book of Tobit from their Bible. <laughs> Okay. So, no, I, I, I only say that. I, I don't know that the Protestants, that all of them say that. But they did scrub the book of Tobit, or Tobias, from, uh, from, uh, from the Bible. They took the book of Maccabees out. I've never understood why Tobit, though, or why Tobias. But you and I have had some wonderful, fantastical conversations off air about the book of Tobit. And because and if you have folks, if you haven't read it, it might be the ultimate uh, Aesop's fable bedtime story uh, uh, because it is a yarn. And, you know, you kind of get dragged into the story and you don't know where the author of, of, of Tobias is going with it. Uh, but, you know, you do find out, though, that arc, that uh, archangels are real and that God does send them to the just here on earth to carry out uh, his wishes. Okay. So the book of, uh, so uh, Tobit starts out with, um, uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the book, he is sent, uh, to, uh, Tobias is, uh, is sent. Tobias is the tribe of the city of Nephtali. Uh, is is how the uh, the book begins, but it, it's uh, so Tobias. Uh, now correct me if, if I'm wrong on any of this. He sends his son on a on a mission, right? Mm-hmm. And the son goes uh, to go carry out uh, uh, the mission. Um, uh, I forget what the mission was because I haven't read the book recently here. Um, and the the son winds up and the presence of this woman. Her name's Sarah, right? Yes. And she's been married six times? Uh, Is it six or seven? I want to say... Th- I want to say six. I don't recall. Okay, so she's been married six times. And what has happened to all six of her husbands? 
they die. Because a, a devil named Asmodeus kills each each and every single one of them. And it's seven. Okay, seven she times. She had been given to seven husbands, and a devil named Asmodeus had killed them at their first going to her. So... The son doesn't know where he finds this, this story out. And uh, instead of bailing on uh, the, the nuptial after he is warned, he instead, he, 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 uh, he prays and uh, he is uh, spared the, the fate. Do you know the story of how he is, he is spared? I know it has something to do with a dead fish. Right. So St. Raphael meets up with Tobias and he tells him to uh, to take out this liver from a fish, um, and he he has him burn it. I think as incense, uh, and and um, there's 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 something else that he has him do. But all of this was a um, it was a, a form of reparation, and and there's a there's a deep uh, meaning in all of it. And quite honestly, I am not well versed enough in it to to be able to articulate it well. But the bottom line is that Raphael gives him the remedy for for uh, actually remaining married to Sarah and and not being killed by the demon. And before they actually go into the uh, the marriage bed, he he and she get down on their knees and they pray. And it's through this act of prayer that the demon is expelled. And after they had supped, they brought in the young man to her. And Tobias, remembering the angel's word, took out his bag, part of the liver, and laid it upon burning coals. Then the angel Raphael took the devil and bound him in the desert of upper Egypt. Then Tobias exhorted the virgin and said to her, Sarah, arise, and let us pray to God today and tomorrow and the next day, because for these three nights we are joined to God, and when the third night is over, we will be in our own wedlock, for we are children of saints, and we must not be joined together like heathens that know not God. So they both arose and prayed earnestly both together that health might be given to them. But Tobias said, Lord God of our Father, may the heavens and the earth and the sea and the fountains and the rivers and all thy creatures that are in them bless thee. Thou madest Adam with the slime of the earth and gavest him me for a helper. Now, this is interesting here. Uh, there's uh, so many things that we could kind of chat on. I have one more thing for you that I think you'll, you'll, you'll be really interested in. Um, why is the book of Tobias talking about Adam and Eve? They're fictional euphemisms. They didn't actually oh, right, exist. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, why did Peter talk about Adam and Eve? <laughs> so, here, so here we go again in, in what we call the Old Testament in the book of Tobias. We have, again, a reference back to Genesis. Mm-hmm. You know, and his brother Andre Marie was pointing out at the St. Benedict Center this year, and maybe in a and a or one of his uh, one of his talks, um, our Lord, no, it was on Wisdom Wednesday last Wednesday. Our Lord is constantly, constantly in the Gospels, quoting from Genesis. He, he yeah. yeah, no, he references Genesis. He quotes from Genesis. He says, "As it was in the time of Noah." Well, how is it that if Jesus is quoting from Genesis? And he's the second person in the Holy Trinity. And the first person in the Holy Trinity told Moses, all right, Mo, sit down, write this down. On the first day, in the beginning, there was the God. Uh, here, day two, write this down, Mo. Well, how come if, 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 if God told Moses to write this down, 
And if here we go in the book of Tobias, we have another reference to Adam and Eve. Well, then how can the biblical account of creation not be correct, Mr. Hitchborn? No, you're absolutely right. Fascinating. Sorry. Yeah. No, sorry, I had to sneeze there. It's <laughs> <That's> um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> happens to the best of us and the worst of us. Trust me, I'm yes, on both yes, sides. Yes. <laughs> so... No, I mean, the, the thing is that, uh, you know what, I'm going to take a moment because uh, that sneeze is trying to come back. All right, all right. So so while you're t taking a moment, let me uh, take you back or, or, or take you to the, um, to the, oh, here it is. I talked about this last week. Um, and we're, and we'll, 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 when you return from the sneeze, we'll wrap up with Tobias. Then I'm going to hit you with another curveball here. Because the scripture continues, Thou madest Adam of the slime of the earth, and gavest Eve him Eve for a helper. And now, Lord, thou knowest that not that not for fleshly lust do I take my sister to wife, but only for the love of posterity, in which thy name be blessed forever and ever. And secolorum in Latin. Sarah also said, Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, and let us grow all both together in health. And it came to pass about the cock crowing, Ragul Rag, uh, ordered his servants to be called for, and they went with him together to dig a grave. For he said, lest perhaps it, be, it, might, it may have happened to him in like manner as it did to the other seven husbands that went in under her. So in other words, you're going to say, hey, we think you're going to go in there and you're going to come out a corpse. Well, sure. I think that there's definitely a Christological understanding of this whole story. There is, yes. Please. I mean, when you when you consider the fact that they dug a grave at the time the cock crowed, uh, it, it definitely recalls the time that the cock crowed uh, during the Passion and the digging of a grave. Now, what the seven preceding husbands would signify might be seven generations, but I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what that would signify, but... Uh, there, there definitely seems to be a Christological approach to this. Yeah, and, and, and the book of Tobias goes on for another a couple of chapters here, but we have the uh, uh, the fact that the archangel Raphael is sent here. Uh, and then the next chapter, the angel Raphael go, goeth to uh, Gabalus, receiveth the money, and bringeth him to the marriage. It's a great story here, but I wanted to read this to you, and, and we can talk about this. St. Augustine and many church fathers are, as far as I can tell, writes Joshua Charles, uh, and I read this last week to the audience, as far as I can tell, unanimous about something very important. Christ's death and resurrection bound the demonic powers. Have you ever yes. heard this? You yes. have. Okay, good. Yep. This is how the old world order of paganism and polytheism, the alliance between demonic and human intelligence that enslaved the world, came to an end. The new world order was inaugurated by Christ and his priesthood and sacraments, supplanted the pagan priesthoods and mysteries that had held the world and thralled them to error. And right. then Joshua Charles has a new book out that I'm going to interview him soon on. says, why is this very important? Because Apocalypse 20 refers to the binding of the dragon. And if this is understood to have occurred by our Lord's crucifixion and resurrection, then the thousand years is the age of the church when the successors of the apostles, those to whom judgment was committed, are, as Christ told the apostles they would do, sitting on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. While the fathers sometimes disagree in their commentaries on Apocalypse 20 itself, 
They're of one mind on when and how the demonic powers were bound. It is because of this binding, St. Augustine and many fathers argue, that the gospel and the Catholic Church spread so rapidly, even taking over the very Roman Empire that destroyed the temple of God of, uh, of the God of Israel and viciously persecuted Catholics. So the, the thing that he doesn't, that, that he, that he kind of leaves hanging here, and maybe you have a, a, a take on this. So you agree that the demonic powers were bound by Christ's life, death, or by his death and resurrection? Without a doubt, yes, absolutely. Okay. Do you think that, the, and he leaves this kind of as a question, has the binding come undone? Is that why we were seeing such evil? Well, I, I think that that really is the question of the day, because what do we mean by the binding coming undone? It's not like, uh, it's not like the glue of Jesus' blood is somehow going to uh, uh, dissolve. But what we do understand is that, as St. Paul pointed out, that the catacomb, the restrainer, would be set aside or would be removed or would be uh, moved out of the way. And that when that happens, that's when that that's what leads to the uh, the the man of perdition or the, uh, the the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist that we know of, uh, is going to be revealed. So who or what? that catacon is really is kind of the question of the day. It's there, there's a lot of reason to believe that the catacon may be St. Michael. There's a lot of reason to believe that the catacon is the church. Uh, some say that the catacon is the Pope and others say that the catacon is the, uh, the Holy Roman empire or even the Holy Roman emperor. So there are many layers to the question of who or what is the catacomb. It could be a combination of all. We, we really don't know. But um, ultimately, what we do know is that there is a loosing of the devil. The devil will be loosed for a time. And when that happens, that's, that's when all, literally all hell breaks loose on earth. Sir Joshua Charles refers to uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, uh -huh. where you will find the... Da, 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 da. Oh, just, uh, and now you know that, and now you know what withholdeth that he may be revealed in his time. Yep, that's For the, the catacomb. Okay. For the mystery of iniquity already worketh, only that he who now holdeth do hold until he be taken out of the way. And yep. then that wicked one shall be revealed to whom the Lord Jesus shall kill with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Him whose coming is according to the working of Satan and all power and signs and lying wonders. And in all seduction of iniquity to them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Therefore, God shall send them the operation of error to believe lying. Pretty much what you just said. Right. Yeah. Well, and it, it's it's funny. I, I actually did my newsletter on this back at the end of September. Oh, okay. Um, and, and my my newsletter was on the question if uh, Saint Michael is the catacomb, and what I point out was that. Um, 
there, there's a lot of reason to believe that St. Michael is the catacomb, and I gave, I gave some of those reasons from, uh, from a book. But then what I point out, let me see if I can find it real quick. And, and just for the uninitiated, how are you spelling catacomb? K-A-T-E-C-H-O-N. Okay. Right. I actually gave a story from, uh, Saint, from Blessed um, Francisco Palau. <clears throat> uh, Blessed Francisco Palau was a, uh, I think he was Portuguese. Uh, he was a Portuguese uh, priest and, and Franciscan monk, and he, uh, he, he was a mystic who, who had conversations with the person of the church. But he, he actually wrote a letter to Pope Pius IX. And in this letter, he described an experience that he had as he was walking toward Rome. And as he was walking toward Rome, he came upon a, a couple of angels, one of whom was standing or, or up above the, uh, the, the cathedral, the, the basilica. And when he came upon this angel, the, the angel had this chain and he was rolled up and he was just kind of sitting there just being kind of leisurely. And he asked him, he said, why do you have your chains rolled up? Why do you not unroll them and tie up the demons? Perhaps you do not see that the prince of darkness, free and unchained, is surrounding Rome. Don't you hear him asking for the city to be handed over to him? That he now possesses all the capitals of the world and is saying he wants to be enthroned in Rome? Can't you hear? Do you want to abandon us to the power of the demons and the political leaders whom they have seduced? Arise, pull pull out your chains, tie up and imprison the dragon. What are you waiting for? To this, the angel replied, quote, I am waiting for the supreme pontiff and you with him who has the chains just as I have to tie him up and the keys to lock him up. You have the same power, the same mission as to tie up and chain the demons and shut them up into the abyss. So, it's interesting imagery. He's talking about chains, chaining up demons. He also talks about them being kind of loosed around the world. This And this was in the 1800s. Okay, so, um, we have an understanding that the chains appear to have been loosed somewhat. Okay. And that the angel who is, this was, the angel was particularly the, um, the angel who guards the throne of the Supreme Pontiff. That was that particular angel. So that angel was waiting for orders, waiting for to be invoked, waiting to be called upon. Now, I used that to kind of talk about, well, what about St. Michael? You know, I, I talked about who the, uh, the, that there is a restrainer or a catacomb according to the Greek, and we you just quoted uh, from Thessalonians. Well, there is some re there there's a lot of reason and it's in my newsletter, but there's a lot of reason to believe that Michael may be that particular restrainer. And what I started to surmise was, well, what does it mean to be for for the the one who restrains to be removed or to be set aside? Um, so what what does that mean? how can how can a, an angel? be removed? How can he be set aside? Yeah, how can an angel be set aside? Well, what came to mind was that Pope Leo XIII, after hearing 
a conversation between God and Satan, Christ and Satan, and Satan said, give me more time and more power, I could destroy your church, which kind of says, loose your chains. What does is, what is Leo Thirteenth do? He immediately pens a prayer to St. Michael, telling him to cast the demon back into hell. Exactly. And that prayer was added to the what are called the Leonine prayers a couple years later. Okay. Ordered to be prayed at every low mass all throughout the church. Well, what happened in 1965? It was probably it, removed. It was it was removed. Actually, it was September 26th, just three days before the Feast of St. Michael, the Sacred Congregation for Rites under Pope Paul VI instituted inter ocumenici which suppressed the Leonine prayers at the end of every low mass, which means that the prayer to St. Michael was no longer being recited after every low mass throughout the, throughout the world. And then, on April 3rd, 1969, Paul VI promulgated the Novus Ordo Mise, which removed all mentions of St. Michael from the mass itself. Because in the traditional Latin mass, St. Michael is mentioned at the Confiator, I confess to Almighty God, to Blessed Mary Ever-Virgin, to Blessed Michael the Archangel. That's okay. right. Confiteor. That's removed. That's, That's right. not there anymore. And Well, now, now you get this uh, this stale bean water thing where I confess to you and my brothers and uh, sisters. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not confessing anything to you unless you put a stole on. No, <laughs> I'm going to confess to the Blessed Virgin right. Mary, St. John the Baptist, St. Michael the Archangel, and uh, and uh, Petromet Palum, um, uh, that I am uh, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. I'm not confessing to you. You know, right. I, I, I went to a Novus Ordo Mass on Sunday because out of convenience, I needed to. And a wonderful, very conservative, good little country priest. I love my father, Starkovich. Uh, but while they were saying, <laughs> while they were saying the, the whatever that is in in the new right, you know, I just quietly beneath my breast just say the Latin version, and, right. and quietly confess, you know, and, and, and said it. I said it, you know, you, you could say it again after the priest consumes, right? Because you know, mm -hmm. the altar service will bow down and we'll uh, we'll say it again, and then the priest will give you another absolution before you know uh, 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 you receive in any event uh, I, I am very familiar with the the confidio and the saint michael uh, uh reference to it and the fact that he is in the missile and i you know i think i may have heard this but i bet many of our listeners had not heard that saint michael had been removing removed from the new order of mass that is right. I mean, that's just another reason why the the, the whole thing is, whatever, whoever side you're on, but to me, why the whole thing is suspect, if you will. Well, here's here's the interesting thing. So St. Michael is removed from the Mass entirely. I, it, it, it's funny, you know, I, I started thinking about this. I was, I was going through the words in the new Mass. There is no mention of St. Michael, which I found very odd. Um, but here's something that's, that's very interesting. With Michael out of the way, so to speak, um, out you know he's he's stopped being mentioned at the uh, end of mass through the removal of the Leonine prayers. Mm -hmm. What happened in the mid nineteen sixties? Well, in the mid nineteen sixties, suddenly you had uh, an introduction or or a widespread of contraception. That's right. And then after 1969, 
you had the with the introduction of the Novus Ordo, you had something very interesting. Nations started passing laws permitting the sale and dissemination of information regarding contraception. Nations started passing laws requiring sex education in public schools. Nations began relaxing laws censoring pornography. They also began passing laws which decriminalized abortion. And then nations began passing laws which decriminalized homosexuality. So all of a sudden, with the removal of St. Michael, you had an explosion of nations all over the world passing laws to give broad permissibility for the most raunchy and terrible things you can do through the sexual act. And look at the carnage today. Yep. So uh, you can look and you can see what that produced. So don't tell me about, uh, I don't, I don't want to hear any theories from all of you uh, pettifoggers out there. And that, that's just a general statement. I don't need a theory to see the carnage in human souls and in uh, simple, easily understood morals and moral precepts that were understood by almost every person in every religion. And that until the, in the 1930s in the Lambeth Conference, uh, no, big, uh, no, no major, uh, even Protestant organization of religion had even questioned most of it. Right. But in the 1960s, we all know it's, it's, it's fascinating, is it not, that everyone points to the hippies and the radicals and the druggies and the wackos of the 60s as kind of being the touchstone moment. Right. But you point out that, uh, well, the touchstone moment is when St. Michael is sent packing. Paul VI gives him a suitcase and a ham sandwich and says, beat it, pal. You're no longer one. Yeah. yeah, get out of here. You're no longer wonder. We don't we don't need you. We have brothers and sisters to confess to now. We don't need you. Well, here's what I said in my newsletter. I said, in each and every single instant, one of these instances is a demonic attack on the image and likeness of God. Contraception attacks man's participation in God's act of creation. Sex education trivializes marriage and demeans the marital act while triggering an illicit curiosity in children. It also attacks the prerogative of parents, who are the ones responsible for the moral education of their children in this regard. Pornography reduces the image and likeness of God by turning that which is sacred into a spectacle. Abortion is the murder of the image of God, and sodomy so perverts the marital act that according to some saints, even the demons flee when it is done. St. Michael's name is the response to Lucifer, who said, I will become like the Most High. Yep. <clears throat> Michael simply asked, who is like God? And with that, Lucifer and his rebels were cast into the eternal lake of fire. By asking who is like God, Michael is pointing at man, who was made in God's own image and likeness. Through the sacra sacrament of marriage, man and woman become one flesh, and through that union, a new creation is made. But everything about our modern age in a, is an assault on the image and likeness of God, begging the questions, where is Michael to defend us? Why has he not risen up to cast the devil and his minions back into hell where they belong? So I asked, could it be that the removal of Michael from all the masses of the world is literally the removal of the catacomb, the restrainer, which is now the man, which is how the man of sin will be revealed? It should be noted that some churches still say the, the prayer to St. Michael at the end of Mass, and the traditional Latin Mass is still being said in pockets throughout the world. 
Could it be that the war against uh, that the war against the mass of the ages is being waged because the true desire on the other end is to eliminate the invocation of St. Michael in the mass completely so that he may be taken out of the way? Could it be that the man of sin can't be revealed if St. Michael remains in some masses somewhere? Now, now you're not a theologian. You only play one on, on, your, on your newsletter and at La Planto right. Institute. But can you answer the question? And okay, so is it Lefebvre then that adds the Saint Michael prayer back in when when he refuses to stop saying the uh, the old rite of mass? Well, there was an indult that was granted by Paul the sixth. Um, now, is this and, the English? Is this the indult for the English? So that the Agatha right. as they call it, the Agatha Christie indult. Right. Okay. Right. And. Uh, you know, Lefebvre, when <coughs> excuse me, when Lefebvre uh, continued on with the traditional Latin Mass, you also have to realize that out in Los Angeles, uh, Cardinal and I can't remember what the, the which Cardinal it was. It was my mother's bishop uh, when she was growing up, but he um, he also refused to for several years to force his priests to say the new mass. He continued on with the old mass until finally the congregation for the doctrine of the faith forced his hand. Um, and he was made to introduce the, the new mass in, in Los Angeles. But the, um, the thing is that there were pockets of resistance all over the place. It wasn't just Lefebvre. Lefebvre is the most prominent. He's the most commonly known one, but there were pockets of resistance all over and then, of course, with the rise of the FSSP in, in uh, the 1980s, um, it has continued. And then also the Institute of Christ the King has come up. Uh, there were Benedictines who continued to say the Benedictine rite of the Mass, which they were allowed to do. Um, that's actually where our parish, St. Joe's, got its start was through the Benedictine rite. And St. Michael, of course, was invoked in the Benedictine rite, but... Anyway, it's it, it wasn't just Lefebvre. I, I would say that he played a prominent okay. part in this, but uh, it wasn't just him. And, and, and by the way, I, I mentioned Father Starkovich earlier. At the end of the Novus Ordo Mass that, I, that Maggie and I went to Sunday, he he, he, he stops and he, he leads. He goes, St. Michael the Archangel. So there are, it's, it has made its way. Uh, back into the uh, even into the, the new rite of mass, um, uh, I suspect that if it made its way into and then Bishop Provost here in Lake Charles, the diocese of, of Lake Charles, he actually requires all of his priests to say that they have the same Michael prayer said at the end of mass. Yep. That's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that uh, like I guess that prohibition is is no longer universal, folks. This war. That, that we are fighting uh, and that uh, Mr. Hitchburn and I have been talking about here on our Tuesday visits for the last six years. This is real. Do not be thinking that, that, that this is just, you know, that we just like talking about this. The spirit war is real. You know, and, and, and Maggie found this at, at National Catholic Register, a story by Kathy Schiffer about, uh, about St. Raphael, the, the Raphael, the Archangel. I didn't know that there was a prayer. Blessed St. Raphael, Archangel, we beseech you to help us in all our needs and trials of this life. As you, through the power of God, restored Tobit's sight and gave guidance to young Tobiah, we humbly seek your aid and intercession that our souls may be healed, our bodies protected from all ills, 
and that through divine grace we may become fit to dwell in the eternal glory of God in heaven. Amen, or amen. The prayer of St. Raphael, the, uh, the, uh, the archangel here whose feast day is today. Um, and you know, in a couple of weeks, we're coming up here on the feast of, of course, All Saints Day is coming up. And that, to me, is always the turning point in the liturgical year. Because we know that Advent is near. And we know that the end of the liturgical year, none of this 68th Sunday in ordinary time, whatever that is, we, we know that the end of the liturgical How can there possibly be ordinary time in the time of our Lord? I, I know. It's, yeah, that the end of the liturgical year is one of the things that I treasure and I love most about the practice of sacred tradition in the Catholic faith. And if I could share one thing with the audience, especially those that aren't Catholics, dude, you get the best calendar in the world. Right. <laughs> there has never been a better calendar. It's the same every year. So, you know, you can start getting used to the feast days. Like today, and I'll remember next year we have St. Raphael. I always remember August, uh, September the 29th, you have uh, St. Michael. My, uh, my, my confirmation is St. St. Augustine, August the 26th. Um, uh, Maggie knows the feast day of St. Maria Goretti. You know the feast day of your confirmation saint. We all know Corpus Christi. We all know the Immaculate Conception. Um, uh, we, we, we know all the feast days, right? Uh, the Annunciation and all that. And they never change. <laughs> right. There's so many people that are confused by a calendar. Well, I don't know whose feast day it is this year in the 116th Sunday in Ordinary Time. <laughs> or whatever it is. And I'm not mocking people that are uh, or, or saying the new right. Please don't misunderstand. I'm just saying that the, it, maybe even in, if you if if you keep with stick with the new right, okay, fine. I don't think that I'm any holier than anyone because I go to the old one. So please don't misunderstand. But get a calendar. You'll love the calendar. You know, I get mine from, I mean, there's several out there, but the brothers at Our Lady of Guadalupe make this wonderful little, it has a spiral binding at the top. Little desk calendar sits perfectly on your desk. It's small and it's pretty accurate. And uh, they send me a couple that are uh, new every year. We should keep those in a trade and post and we should sell them uh, because they're they're so cool and they're so, so well done. But I love the calendar. And all saints say, you all call it Halloween. It's All Hallowed's Eve. And the next day is All Saints Day. Uh, no, All Souls Day is the next day. November 1st is All Saints, then All Souls is, is November 2nd. Um, and uh, this is, you know, we're kind of wrapping up a, a liturgical year. It's been a very eventful liturgical year. And by the way, is it a coincidence? I wonder, will the Synod on Synodality end on All Hallows Eve? That'd be fitting, wouldn't it? Sure would considering that's also the day that the Soviet Revolution started and the day that the uh, Protestant that's Revolution right. started. That's right. Mm -hmm. That is right. Uh, these things are the... the it seems they, that revolutions have a way of starting on October 31st. <laughs> well, maybe this year uh, revolutions have a way of beginning to unwind on November the 1st. Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> it's a, let's ask St. Raphael and St. Michael and St. Gabriel. So what's happening at the Lepano Institute? By the way, folks, you just got a really you got a, you got a fifteen minute crash course on why you should be subscribing, 
and reading the Lepano Institute newsletter that comes out every Friday. And then you can even sit in on the video uh, conference sessions on Friday as well. Go to L-E-P-A-N-T-O-I-N.org, Lepantoin.org. What's happening at the, at the Lepanto Institute? Well, lots of things, actually. Um, <clears throat> we sent out a letter to all the bishops in the country at the, uh, when was this? In September. I we remember. Sent, yep. And on October 11th, <laughs> Bishop uh, Bishop Timothy Sr., who is the, sent a page and a half letter to all the bishops uh, a memo basically saying pay no attention to him uh, he's he's full of it and we, we've looked into this and it's it's no there's nothing wrong um, so I'm going to be responding to that soon and oddly enough suddenly you know after bishops started receiving our letter where we said yeah why don't, why don't you ask them why the uh, latest round of CCHD grants hasn't been published yet suddenly that list is now up went up this weekend so we are currently going through, uh, with a fine-toothed comb, all of the grantees of the CCHD for uh. 2021 to 2022, and there are certain anomalies that stood out right away. Uh, these people are not smart. Let me just put it this way. They're not smart. Each page of their grants list contains approximately 15 grantees. There are about four pages that only have a handful of grantees on them, and the rest of the page is blank. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What, mm. what's, what's your immediate thought there? Uh, you deleted some, or you conveniently yeah. left them off? When, you're not uh -huh. gonna, you, we're not going to publish these. Yeah, so that was very interesting. What else is interesting is that normally – they have about 216, 217 grantees. Their current list has 184, or I'm sorry, 182, which is 34 fewer than they normally have. Uh, we also noticed that their average yearly grant distribution is around 11 or $12 million. This one's $9 million. Okay. So something's missing. Hmm. And I think they owe it to everybody to tell us what they omitted from this list. Yes. And it's probably good. I mean, the here's the thing. If you put together a grants list and you approve of around 217, 216 grantees, and then suddenly you remove a bunch of them, whether you want to claim, well, you know, we found that there were problems and we removed, we, we, disapprove their grant, fine. Tell us who they are. Tell us who they are so that we can recognize them in the future. Or are you not as transparent as you say you are? It is, uh, it, 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 it has become apparent to anyone that's paying attention to the work of the Lepando Institute and uh, I'd say others, but they're not really, but <laughs> the work of the Lepando Institute it's become apparent that there is demonic, satanic, evil grift that just emanates and oozes out and from these entities that call themselves Catholic charities. Uh, yep. It's a scandal. It is an outrage. 
it, uh, I'm sure it will be dealt with at judgment and in heaven uh, by a merciful God and pray for uh, mercy and you pray for these people to renounce what they've done. No one wants uh, the hand of God to turn anyone uh, or to sentence anyone to a, uh, to eternal damnation. I don't want it. You don't want it. That's that's not how we're supposed to think about this. Right. Um, but it is it, it's such a grave scandal. And it's, you know what, it's going to mark our, it is going to mark our time. Michael Matt said something at our New Von Day rally when he came in early September, and he was the last speaker at, at, uh, at, at the rally that was put on by the canceled farmer, Ross McKnight. And he got Michael to come because Michael interviewed him about how he had gotten canceled for siding with the Sacred Heart in June instead of Sodomy Month. And, uh, you know, he saw all this Von Day stuff, and, and, my, and Michael was like, I didn't know. I, I'm blown away by it. And he, he gave a talk about the general of the Von Day, Charette. And uh, he turned to Ross and he said, keep your stipend. I don't want it. I am honored to be here. And let me tell you something, all of you. You should pose for a group picture because you know what? In a history book 100 years from now, they're going to have a picture of you guys, and they're going to have this date. And they're gonna they're, and they're going to talk about what you're doing here in Louisiana. I I agree with Michael. I, I if you're on the sidelines, dude, you're on the wrong side. You can't be on the sideline any longer. You you cannot be tangential to this and thinking that someone else is going to do it. And I, I think he's right. Take those group photographs. <laughs> Make sure you're Absolutely. smiling. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, so when they print it in the new Catholic Encyclopedia or. Or, or maybe even the Colliers of the Britannic Encyclopedia in a hundred years, you go like uh, your your grandchildren going, hey, there's Grandpa Mike, there's Grandpa Michael, <laughs> right? Yep. These, this stuff is happening. It's happening. There's no putting it back in. You're involved in a, in events, as John Adams said. You know, events are underfoot here that millions born and unborn are going to recall. There's that's that's just the way you have to look at this. And I think that, uh, you know, your work at the Lopano Institute, and no one else is doing this, but it is going to be chronicled. You have chronicled it. Future historians are going to quote you. Yep. You know this, right? Well, yeah, I mean, the, we whether in this world or in the next, uh, the glory of God will always shine through because we are glorifying him in our work, in yes. our lives. Yeah, right, right, right. So it's... You know, it, we don't do this for our own personal glorification, but by looking toward the future and seeing that the defense of of God, the defense of innocence, whether we are sung heroes in this life or unsung heroes in this life, we will be sung heroes in the next, provided we die in a state of grace. So, yeah, I mean, it's that there is a lot uh, to looking to that, but our our eye should always be on. On salvation and and through that, sure. yeah, we'll probably be, go down in the history books. Yes, yeah, and there are a lot of people that are that are out there doing things. I think Brother Andre Marie and the Slave City of Magot Heart are going to go down in history. I think Marcel Lefebvre is going to go down in history, even though you know he's in a uh, most Catholic think he's in an ignominious part of history. We well, you know at one time so was Savonarola, mm-hmm. um, uh, so was uh, uh, Joan d'Arc was burned at the stake, right? And uh, we call her Saint Joan d'Arc today. So, uh, Godspeed. God bless you, brother. God bless you. God bless your audience. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Certainly will. And uh, give Alyssa a, a hug and a kiss for us, please. You betcha. Okay, brother. Talk soon. All right, All right man. God bless. Bye.